Hello there. Australia is on the cusp of the most significant revamp of its merger laws in decades, something that's largely been driven by concerns over global digital platforms. It's all because, under the country's existing voluntary merger regime, Australia's antitrust regulator says it has often been overlooked by global dealmakers. According to the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission, significant global transactions, many involving digital companies, are either not notified in Australia at all, or the regulator finds out about them too late, and by then it's a done deal. So, the case for scrapping the voluntary regime is a compelling one. But there's so much more than that on the table in Australian merger law at the moment, particularly given that the ACCC recently gave the green light to an anti-competitive merger on the grounds that its environmental benefits outweighed the market detriments. I'm James Panicki, a senior editor with MLEX's Asia Desk. I'm coming to you from the LexisNexis offices in Melbourne, Australia. Thank you for downloading another MLEX special edition podcast. Now, we have been covering every twist and turn of the proposed merger revamp, and we have a few exclusive interviews with key players for you on today's podcast. MLEX reporter Ryan Kropp works from our offices in Parliament House in the Australian capital Canberra and he's been covering these developments very closely and he joins us now. So uh, Ryan, let's set the scene for listeners that might not be familiar with the Australian regulatory landscape. Firstly, let's talk about the existing merger regime. So say I'm the manager of a company that's about to undertake an acquisition. Where do I go from there? Where do I start? Well, under the current system, you've got a choice of two options. Uh, so the first, and by far and away the most popular option, is what's known as informal notification, which means essentially voluntary notification. So if you're doing a deal, you're under no obligation to notify the ACCC at all. Um, so the downside of this, though, is that the, if the ACCC decides your deal is anti-competitive, you could end up in court. Although it is worth noting that in practice, a lot of companies do notify the ACCC to get an indication of whether their deal will be likely to raise competition concerns. So that's the first option. Now, your second option is what's known as merger authorization, which is basically the formal option. So companies make a formal application to the ACCC to have their deal approved. Uh, And this involves strict requirements about information that needs to be provided um, and an exchange the ACCC offers clearer timeframes about how long it will take to review the deal, uh, and they can also guarantee they won't take court action once they've made a decision. And companies can also make public benefits claims, which can be weighed up against any anti-competitive detriments of the deal. So one thing worth mentioning about merger authorizations is that they aren't very popular, or um, maybe I should say not frequently taken advantage of. So since it was set up in 2017, there have only been seven deals reviewed this way, and four of those have come since May 2022. So they're just not that popular. Okay, now we'll get back to the issue of public benefits because that's become particularly relevant recently. But why does the ACCC believe that uh, this uh, mechanism, so these two options, uh, are no longer right for the country, that Australia needs to overhaul this regime? What's the problem with what we've got? Well, yeah, here's where it gets a little tricky. So the ACCC have made a number of different arguments. One is that they think the informal system incentivizes companies doing big global deals to simply bypass the Australian system. So if you think about it, if you're a global company doing a deal that requires regulatory approval in multiple jurisdictions, you're unlikely to prioritize Australia if you're not strictly required to notify the regulator. So the ACCC don't really like that. They want to have their say on big deals. 
Uh, the ACCC is also frustrated by the kinds of information it's able to get out of companies when it's conducting its merger reviews. It says that companies will strategically withhold information at the beginning of the review, which makes it a lot harder to do a proper competition assessment. Recently, one ACCC commissioner told a conference some stories about um, companies claiming they didn't have the documents the ACCC were asking for, but then later on in the review, it emerged that the company actually had very specific documents with the exact kind of information they were after, so um, the ACCC are quite sceptical about that. So the ACCC also says it doesn't have the right tools it needs to enforce competition, particularly in dynamic and rapidly changing digital markets. It doesn't have a specific means of dealing with things like killer acquisitions, um, which basically are when a very large company buys a much smaller and more embryonic company, um, which is not currently a direct competitor, but may potentially become one in the future. The ACCC thinks it's quite hard for it to oppose deals like that and that they have will have potentially quite problematic competitive problems in the future. Okay, so the, the ACCC has got quite a shopping list of complaints when it comes to the existing regime. So in April this year, ACCC Chair Gina Cascott-Lieb outlined uh, in a speech her agency's preferred model for reform, and we followed up on that speech with some freedom of information requests that gave us even more detail about the proposed model, uh, possible thresholds, a whole wide range of additional information. But in broad terms, what what would the ACCC like to see? What is the ACCC model? Well, the first thing they want is to remove the voluntary notification component of the merger system. So basically, companies will have no chance of sidestepping the ACCC when they're doing deals. In some ways, they basically want to funnel all deals through what's currently the existing merger authorization system that I mentioned earlier. So there will be upfront information requirements, clear timelines for review, um, merger parties can make public benefits claims, um, and deals would no longer be, quote-unquote, skewed towards clearance. So basically, the ACCC could only approve a deal if it was satisfied it didn't lessen competition. Now, the ACCC can't review every deal made in Australia, and they don't want to. So they've also proposed, as you said, putting in a set of thresholds that would determine which deals would have to notify and which don't. And as you said, earlier this year, your humble servants at MLEX did a bit of sleuthing, and we um, we managed to get a hold of the ACCC's preferred set, set of thresholds, which lawyers have told us are on the low side of things. On the low side of things, meaning that they would uh, capture far more deals than uh, would necessarily be uh, advantageous to the ACCC in terms of its workload, right? That's right. Although at a conference last week, um, ACCC Commissioner Stephen Ridgway said that those thresholds actually would not be set in stone um, if this system was put in place and they could actually be moved around, you know, depending on how well they were working. If they, if they were getting too many deals, they could raise them. If they were getting too little, they could lower them. The other thing to say about the ACCC's model is that it would largely eliminate the Federal Court of Australia from the merger review process. So currently, if the ACCC wants to block an informally notified deal, it will go to the federal court where there'll be a full-blown so-called de novo trial where things like the cross-examination of witnesses and the bringing of new evidence can take place. Under the ACCC's model, a company wanting to appeal a decision on a merger that met the thresholds would need to go to the Australian Competition Tribunal, which is a specialist competition court, and one that would only have a mandate to review the ACCC's decision, not to have a, a full rehearing of the case. So basically, it's all power to the ACCC under this model. Okay, so that was the proposal that the ACCC put to the government. Clearly, it wants greater powers, it wants more tools in its toolbox, that makes sense. In Australia, it's the government that needs to make a decision on legislation. Unlike other jurisdictions around the world, the ACCC can't simply create its own 
uh, regulation, but there are early indications that the government would be in favour of some kind of reform proposal. We know that because uh, since earlier this year there has been a committee of inquiry uh, underway in Parliament which has been addressing uh, concerns about market concentration and the lack of dynamism in the economy, and dynamism is usually a a code word for a lack of competition. Andrew Lee, who is the Assistant Minister for Competition in Australia, had uh, also been making increasingly strong arguably strident public statements to this effect. So there was clearly an appetite for reviewing the 2010 Competition and Consumer Act. But but Ryan, where did things go from there? Where did they take it? Yeah, so running us alongside the HBC's more legalistic concerns um, is, as you say, this political narrative that, that the government is in a bit of a tough spot with inflation running above average and interest rates pretty high and um, the cost of living, cost of living pressures being quite a hot political topic. And at the same time, there's been this steady stream of criticism about concentration in Australian industries. So, you know, in Australia, we've got two major airlines, two supermarkets, four banks, three big energy retailers. And some people have made the argument that there's a connection between merger laws and market concentration, and then between market concentration and things like supermarket price gouging, right? So there's a political connection. Um, And of course, on airlines too, the government's come under quite a lot of pressure recently for not being seen to do enough about competition in that industry. So in August, the government comes out and announces the creation of a task force in the Treasury Department um, to look at merger laws and a few other things, including no poach agreements and um, things like the net zero transition. The government appointed uh, an expert advisory panel that included former ACCC chair Rod Sims, who was himself a rather strong advocate for merger law reform during his term as chair, uh, as well as the recently appointed chair of the Productivity Commission, Danielle Wood. There was also a strong ACCC contingent on the task force too, which was led by former ACCC head of enforcement, Marcus Betsy, all of which suggested that the government uh, was actually looking quite open to the ACCC's merger law proposals at that particular time. But the government did make the point when it announced the task force that this, uh, this, uh, this mechanism wouldn't spend years reviewing the Competition and Consumer Act and then make recommendations at the end of that process. It would be kind of a, a, a rolling inquiry, making suggestions, putting forward proposals as it as it went along, right? Yeah, that's right. And and it actually moved pretty quickly. So in late November, what's that, three months after they kicked off the task force, that the task force have released a consultation paper that put merger reforms right to the front of the queue. Um, and I think to the surprise of some observers, at least, uh, they've proposed three different models for Australia's merger regime, not, not simply consulting on the ACCC's model, but they've come up with some models of their own. So the first was a a kind of minimalist option, not too dissimilar to the existing system and quite similar to what they've got in New Zealand, where companies would be able to voluntarily notify a merger, um, otherwise face the prospect of court action. Option two is much more like the American system. Um, So there will be a mandatory notification of mergers above specific thresholds, and those deals will be suspended for a period while the ACCC conducts a review. But then if the ACCC chooses to oppose the deal, it would need to go to the federal court and prove that the merger would be likely to lessen competition. So it's got still got a strong role for the federal court in that model. And then, of course, there's option three, which is the ACCC's proposed model, which has mandatory notification above thresholds, call-in power for deals under the thresholds, public benefits, and appeals to the tribunal instead of the federal court. Now, Ryan, we know from our conversations with competition lawyers in Australia that they are very much in favour of option two, right, the the, the so-called American option, because it would involve a greater role for the federal court. That's something that, as you've just mentioned, they're particularly interested in. They want 
de novo trials, they want the full bells and whistles. You could cynically argue that that um, might have something to do with billable hours. They would argue that it is about a due process and making sure that um, that the ACCC doesn't, you know, take on the role of sort of, you know, jury judge and executioner. But the task force, as we've said, involves a lot of current and former ACCC officials. So the question is... Will the task force be more inclined to support the ACCC option, so option three? Now, I attended a conference at the Melbourne Law School recently in which uh, Marcus Betsy was speaking. Betsy, who you've just mentioned, of course, a senior ACCC official who's been seconded to the task force. So outside of the advisory panel, he's the key player in all of this. That has inevitably led to speculation that Betsy would be more inclined to support option three. But when I spoke to him at the margins of the conference, he was adamant that uh, he was going to go into this with an open mind. He hadn't made any decisions yet. He was not supporting any particular model. He didn't want to get into the different models, but he was very happy to discuss the broader issue of what needs to be achieved. Here he is. The two main choices, I think, are, are around whether we stick with the current model or come up with some change, and the change could either be an enforcement model uh, uh, along the lines of what they have in the US Mm. or Canada, uh, or a more administrative model, a merger clearance model, um, a bit more like... uh, Actually, the New Zealanders have a merger clearance model combined with an enforcement model, Mm. uh, which seems to uh, work more effectively than our model. That's one example that mm. could be looked at. Mm. Um, the other option would be to go more down a, a, a European approach, which has very much an administrative process at, at its core, mm. as, you, as you know. Mm. I mean, rightly or wrongly, the fact that there are so many ACCC former and current officials involved with the task force made people assume that um, the merger proposals put forward by the ACCC recently would be readily embraced. You seem to be pushing back against that. We're we're outnumbered by PC and Treasury (laughs) and Reserve Bank uh, and Department of Finance, DREG, Task Force and other officials. So uh, we're certainly not in the majority. Our views are are put within the group and they're put strongly, but... I can tell you that uh, there's plenty of others who've got strong views. Mm. Do you believe that there is a case for reform when it comes to merger laws? Look, I've got a personal view, yeah. uh, which I'm feeding into the discussions. Yes. What comes out as advice to government will be advice of the task force, yes. uh, not advice from uh, the ACCC or from... You know, the ACCC has already given its advice. It'll be task force advice informed uh, by the uh, expert advisory panel... Uh, and I think that process will lead to high-quality advice, which hopefully the government will agree is helpful, um, and they can choose to either accept the advice or not. And you also mentioned in passing the role of FERB, which um, has a role in, in assessing uh, competition elements um, at, at the moment. Is that something that is there a push for that role to be reviewed or reassessed? So the Treasurer has indicated that he wants to streamline the FERB processes. I should say one of the things, and I'm learning things every day in this role, and that's one of the things I love about it. Um, One of the things I was quite surprised about, uh, I should have probably known, but I didn't, uh, is that around, over time, about half of all the merger applications that come to the ACCC are also being considered by the foreign investment review people. In the last year, it was actually two thirds so 
there's a lot of overlap mm. uh, in the assessment that goes on. Um, and the question that we've been asked to look at is, you know, how, how can we reduce this overlap? How can we make sure that the processes are streamlined for the benefit of business and um, to enable a more efficient uh, process to occur. And I'm sure it's way too early to talk about um, thresholds in the context of merger law, and I realise that you haven't reached that stage, but is that something that you expect the, um, the task force will eventually consider, the, the notion of, of thresholds and what, um, if, what thresholds should if, be put in place? If a decision is made to go with a mandatory suspensory model, yes. then yes, that's the logical next part of the process to think about how it ought to operate, how it should be implemented. And that was Marcus Betsy, a senior ACCC official who has been seconded to the mergers task force. And just to explain the reference to FERB there, which is the Foreign Investment Review Board, that's the advisory panel within Treasury that considers whether foreign investment in Australia is in the national interest. And FERB also considers competition elements. So there's a degree of overlap, which is uh, clearly of some concern to Treasury. Now, the intriguing issue for us at MLEX has been whether the public benefits test that is a feature of the current authorisation mechanism would be included in the models put forward by the government. It's not mentioned explicitly, but we know for a fact that it would certainly be part of the ACCC model, which is option three. But uh, I suppose, and, and, and Ryan, let me bring you back into the conversation. Why are we talking about public benefits now? Why is this so topical? Public benefits are in the spotlight now, I think, because of a recent merger authorisation decision made by the ACCC um, in a review of Brookfield's $18 billion attempted takeover of Origin Energy, a big energy retailer in Australia. So Brookfield are a big Canadian asset management company. And without going too deep into the details of the decision, basically what happened was Brookfield applied for formal merger authorization. Uh, and as part of that application, they argued that they would be bringing on something like 14 gigawatts of renewable power if it was allowed to buy Origin. Uh, and that this constituted a material public benefit. And so despite the ACCC finding that it was not satisfied the deal would not lessen competition, it approved the deal anyway, arguing that the public benefits outweighed the public detriments. So James, I don't want to be too quick to throw around the term world first, but I spoke <laughs> to several MLEX reporters around the world, and I'm reasonably satisfied that there hasn't been an actual merger approved on such explicitly environmental grounds, especially a merger of this size. There's been a few around the margins in Europe, but this is the biggest and most explicit merger that's been approved on environmental grounds. All right, and we, we should point out that uh, we're often mocked by our editors in Hong Kong when we refer to something as being a world first just because they obviously have tapped into our Australian insecurities about um, wanting to... Uh, uh, wanting to be taken seriously by the rest of the world. But I think on this case, in this particular example, we are entirely justified. There hasn't been uh, any other evidence of something like this taking place. And we should also mention the fact that um, even in Australia, public benefits, be they environmental or anything else, are not usually taken into account even when uh, uh, deals go through the formal authorisation process. So this is indeed quite a revolutionary both for, for Australia and and globally, I suppose. And recently I was able to speak with ACCC Chair Gina Cass-Gottlieb at the margins of another conference in Melbourne, and I began by asking her if she was confident that there was still a role for the public benefits test. What we are seeing is that in 
the full process that would run for matters that were caught within the thresholds, that there would first be an assessment on the test of satisfaction, not substantial lessening of competition. Mm. Um, if the matter failed to uh, qualify for clearance, formal clearance under that test, there would then be, if the parties chose to, a consideration of public benefits. So it would still be part of the capacity to get formal clearance. But that uh, that public benefits test, which exists under the authorisation process at the yes. moment, wasn't explicitly mentioned, though, for example, in option two that was put forward by the government. You're right. As I understand the framing of the options, yes. and it is the Treasury Task Force's paper, option one is in effect the New Zealand model and that model it is a substantial satisfied not substantially lessening competition. Option two is the US model which is mandatory notification um, and it's a competition test which ultimately is determined through enforcement in courts. Uh, Option three which is our model includes public benefits because we do think it has been an important part since the very beginning of the Act to consider that public benefits may outweigh uh, a lessening of competition Uh, and so we have retained it. What we have said is that it is the second step and the reason we've said it's the second step rather than necessarily as part of the first competition assessment is that most matters that come to us don't raise a public benefit, so we want to be focused on the competition assessment, but we absolutely have proposed that public benefits remains as an independent basis where it outweighs the anti-competitive detriment for formal clearance mergers. I spent yesterday talking to your former colleagues, to competition lawyers. They're very excited about the second option because it would retain a role for the federal court. Uh, which they insist is the only way where their clients will get a fair hearing. You wouldn't concur with that, but how, how do you see that, that, uh, th- th- that issue of the role of the federal court? Is that, is that a key issue in your view? On our proposed model, we do retain a role for the federal court. Firstly, in relation to matters where parties seek declaratory relief, whether they're below the threshold um, or uh, above the threshold. But secondly, uh, also, of course, it would be a judicial review role, but we, we are not excluding the federal court. What the second option does is requires mandatory notification but still has an enforcement model for the purposes of having to go to court in order to oppose very few matters ever end in the federal court now and this is a situation in which there's unfettered access to the federal court so there would continue to be matters that could go there and for the matters that do go to the federal court particularly for a full consideration um, so you're talking about under the age under the uh, no, no, I, no I'm now talking about, about the, the, the under option two yes. looking at the current situation which is an enforce our informal yes. uh, current before any reform yes. then we must if we oppose and the parties say they're still going to complete we must go to the federal court now so it's already a court option really what people are saying is their preference is pretty much the same though with mandatory reporting the point is very few matters go there when they go there for a full hearing as distinct from an interlocutory hearing 
It takes a considerable, many, many months. It takes a long time. It's very expensive. So it, it has its own disadvantages. From the ACCC's point of view, the really critical point is that in the situation of the current framework and that framework, uncertainty in uncert- situations of uncertainty, the default situation is that the merger will go through, regardless of whether, if we have a serious concern and we are not satisfied that it's not likely to be substantially lessening of competition, in that situation where the future is highly, more highly uncertain now with energy transition, with digital transformation, it puts the risk of a decision that says this is not proven on the balance of probability that there will be a substantial lessening of competition, it puts that risk against the public interest. We will have more concentration. There may just have been the court is unable to be satisfied that this new competitor, you know, let's look at um, all the new apps that were acquired, WhatsApp, Instagram, etc. Instagram by um, Meta. At that time, it was unable to see that a photo sharing app would be a competitor to social media. Now, when you look at all the people who come in to those services through following and sharing in, an inst- in Instagram, you can see that it actually was a potential competitor. Now, court at that time would probably, and the pro- a prosecutor would have had great difficulty to prove that potential competitive Uh, significant competitive overlap in the future. We don't want that uncertainty. It's a small number of matters that will ever need it. We don't want that uncertainty to have the default that the transaction will go ahead. It's not that we're saying the default is it doesn't. We're saying that the test needs to be that the parties can satisfy the decision maker, which is the ACCC or the competition tribunal, which is a decision maker, including a federal court judge an economics expert and a lay expert who doesn't just look as the ACCC made an error, stands in the shoes of the ACCC and makes their own decision. So we say our model enables all the clients to have a proper review and decision making by the most expert judicial, economic and industry lay expert. And that was ACCC Chair Gina Cass-Gottlieb. So Ryan, uh, Cass-Gottlieb there was adamant that there would still be a role for the federal court under the ACCC's Option 3 for merger reform. Lawyers that we've spoken to, though, aren't too convinced of that, right? I mean, they're sceptical that there would still be much of a role for the federal court under Option 3. Yes. So the ACCC say that their proposals don't explicitly rule out a role for the federal court and and if a merger party is not happy with the way the ACCC is reviewing their deal, it can make a declaration to the federal court to have it heard there, and it would be up to a judge to decide whether to hear the matter or not. Now, it remains to be seen how this would actually play out in practice. Some say that a court would be unlikely to hear the matter when the ACCC or the tribunal is already dealing with it. Why would it want to replicate the work of the ACCC or the tribunal? But I guess really the key issue here is that competition lawyers have a clear preference for de novo trials with new evidence presented and witnesses cross-examined. They say this is a matter of procedural fairness, that the federal court brings a certain rigour to the analysis of evidence that the ACCC simply can't do on its own or even the tribunal on review. And I think in the coming months, this is probably where we're going to see a lot of debate. Ryan, thank you so much for chatting to me today. It's been really interesting. Thanks for all of your coverage over recent months. 
Thanks, James. Brian Crop is an MLEX regulatory affairs reporter based in Parliament House in the Australian capital, Canberra. And we should also mention that our Sydney-based reporter, Saloni Sinha, has been working on our coverage of the merger law revamp, and our subscribers will have seen her byline on a few stories as well. We'll post some links to our recent analysis at our website, mlexmarketinsight.com. That's M-L-E-X marketinsight.com. And we should also point out that the ACCC decision to approve the Brookfield Origin Energy deal on environmental grounds, which we mentioned earlier on, is now in fact largely academic, given that the shareholders have voted down the deal and as a result it won't proceed. Today's podcast was produced and presented by me, James Paniki, and from everyone here at MLEX and LexisNexis, thank you for your company. We'll see you again very soon for more MLEX special content. Bye for now.